Well, good morning. Great that you can be with us this morning. Uh, my name's James. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it's my privilege and honor to be able to finish off this Being Human series that we've been going through over the last couple of months. And we've been looking at a letter uh, called First Thessalonians, written by a man called Paul. And so we're coming to the end of this letter now. And so if you have a, a Bible with you, uh, why don't you turn to First Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12 and then finish it off in verse 28. And the words are also going to appear on the screen. Uh, so let's, let's read this passage together. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I want to start by uh, telling you uh, about the first time that I went to America. I was fortunate enough to take a school trip as a teacher to New York back when I was a history teacher. And don't ask me what New York has to do with history. I just fancied going there. Uh, and, uh, but aside from that, going to all the historical sites, after going to the Statue of Liberty, Staten Island, the museums, the art galleries, and so on, we gave the, the small group of young people that came with us the opportunity to hit the shops and spend all their money. Well, naturally, I couldn't help myself either, and so went into my first clothing store and was greeted by someone employed by the store to welcome me, and, and they were the most enthusiastic person I think I'd ever met. Uh, it was more enthusiastic than when my mum saw me for the first time after lockdown. It was that kind of welcome. Uh, I thought they'd mistaken me for someone famous or a long-lost relative or something. They told me how great I looked, asked me how I was, that if I needed anything, absolutely anything, I just needed to ask. And I walked into that shop, just, I, I'm not going to lie, with a spring in my step. You know that time where you get your hair, I've just had my hair cut, I just feel sharp, you know, it's like you, you just feel alive and you walk into that shop and you're like, you just feel like a transformed person after what they said to you when you walked in. This greeter made me feel like that. Uh, I walked in the shop, they, they, I mean it worked, I spent, a lot of my, <laughs> I spent all my money that I had, not a lot, but I spent all my money there, uh, but then I went to the next shop, got the same treatment. I was like, wow, I'm having a good day today. It's like everyone's being so kind and nice to me. 
as time wore on, I couldn't help but feel that this wasn't unique to me. After I walked in, the same person after me got the same kind of treatment. And I began to realize that this was just a sales tactic. That crestfallen, as you can imagine, in the end, every greeter that I came up against, it was like their words were hollow and empty and lifeless. They were smiling at me, but you know when those people have eyes like daggers? That was what I felt like every time. And this passage that we have read is the final part of this letter, like I said, in which the author Paul is writing to this young church, this church that has recently started, and he's now leaving them with some final remarks, some final instructions, some final words on how to continue to live for God. It's like a summary of everything that he's talked about in the letter so far. And he's leaving this church family with some instructions. In fact, he he wants to strengthen and encourage them in what they are already doing, this wonderful culture that they have developed. It's an incredibly warm letter. You see, Paul loved this church. He was so impressed by how they were doing despite the fact that they only just started really following Jesus. How in the face of suffering and opposition, they remained strong in their faith. How they loved each other. How they built community with one another and with those around them. And so in seeing this strong community, he leaves them with a list of instructions. I don't know if you spotted them, but there's almost 10 of them. He says, hold leaders in the highest regard. Live in peace with each other. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Do what is good. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecy with content. Reject every kind of evil. We could preach a sermon on each one of those in turn. You'll be pleased to know I'm not going to do that. But I was drawn to one particular instruction that I think can often be overlooked in this passage. And we find it in verse 14. Hidden away in verse 14, Paul writes these words, Encourage the disheartened. Encourage the disheartened. The word encourage or encouragement features a lot in Paul's writings and it appears almost seven times in this letter almost in every chapter that Paul writes in this letter he uses it let me just remind you of some of the times that he talks about encouragement in chapter two he says for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children encouraging comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God or in chapter three Paul writes, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. In chapter four, it says, therefore encourage one another with these words. In chapter five, he says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And then hidden away in verse 14 of the passage that we've just read, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And so clearly this is a theme that Paul wants this church to know and to live out. But then it has a particular application as we see in verse 
14. So let's just for a moment consider the wider context of what Paul is saying about encouragement before we focus on how we apply it in verse 14. You know, I think sometimes we can think of encouragement a little like the American shopkeeper a greeter, can't we? It's just a set of nice words, compliments that hopefully will make someone's day. But clearly for Paul, encouragement is far more than that. For Paul, there is something deep and hearty going on when believers come together and encourage one another and build each other up. And so I want to ask three questions today. What is it about encouragement and building each other up that is so important? Why is it important? And secondly, what does an encouraging lifestyle look like? And thirdly, how can we get better at it? How can we be better at encouraging one another? So let's start with the first question. Well, why is it so important? Because it's clearly important to Paul. He talks about it a lot. He talks about it in lots of other letters too. It's, it's important to him. And Paul's use of the word encouragement meant to draw alongside someone, to comfort and to counsel. I want us to hear that and, and remember that. It's a drawing alongside of someone. And this is important because far from just nice words, encouragement is based on relationship. It is a life-on-life interaction where someone chooses to draw alongside another, to benefit them, to build strength into that person. We're made for relationship, but we were made for more than just interaction and conversation. To be human is to be, to be able to breathe life and bring life into other people through our words and through our actions. Paul is convinced, he's convinced that your life in God, your relationship with Jesus can be a powerful source of energy for someone else. John Tyson who I am an unashamed fanboy of, uh, described encouragement being like the adrenaline rush like that an athlete gets before they compete. Or I'm sure you've heard those stories uh, where fueled with adrenaline, people managed to do extraordinary things, whether it was lifting a car up to save someone's life or fleeing a scene of extreme danger. With God's help, we can live our lives in such a way that they become a source of energy for, and life for other people. It's like a, a telegraph pole with power flowing into a whole street of houses. Our life and our faith in God can be like that for other people, providing the energy, the inspiration, the motivation to fuel people's faith in God. So what, what does this life of encouragement look like? Well, in verse 14, we see a very specific example of how this can look. He says in verse 14, encourage the disheartened. In other translation, that word disheartened is translated as timid or weak or vulnerable. And Paul is saying that one of the ways in which a lifestyle of encouragement can look like 
and I want to suggest perhaps is often overlooked, is the drawing alongside to those people who are disheartened, those people who are struggling, those that are weak and are vulnerable, those who are facing significant challenges in their life. Paul is clear in his instruction, encourage those that are disheartened. In fact, his next line adds that, adds to that. It says, help the weak. You know, much of the world operates in a completely different way, doesn't it? Particularly in fast-paced cities like Bristol, it's, it's often survival of the strongest. Those that are weak and vulnerable tend to be forgotten about. And we've seen that, haven't we, in the last few months. The, the, the conditions, the, the, the shocking treatment, lack of investment in, in care homes across the nation, for instance. A whole generation almost being forgotten about pushed to the margins but the problem is isn't just out there in the world we have those in our church family who are experiencing real challenge right now whether that's through bad health isolation feeling far from God lost in cycles of sin and it's those who are disheartened that Paul is urging the church to encourage You see, the way of Jesus is not like the way of this world. The way of Jesus that we read about in the New Testament is one of moving towards those who are weak and disheartened and bringing them into safety and security. It's like the the herd mentality that you see in animals. When they're faced with danger or a predator, they bring the young and the vulnerable into the middle of the herd for protection. And Paul here is saying to this church, encourage the disheartened. Identify those who are in need amongst you and draw alongside them and build them up. Lead them to God for strength, for it is only in God that they will find what they need. We see Jesus operating in this way time and time again in the Gospels, don't we? Jesus was never drawn to the rich and the strong and the famous, but to those who were on the fringes, those who'd been forgotten about, in fact, those who were deemed to be outsiders. I guess one of the most well-known encounters with Jesus in the New Testament that we read of is, is with a Samaritan woman who had been thrown out of her community because she was now onto her fifth relationship. And, and rather than remonstrating with her and criticizing her, what does Jesus do? Jesus extends warmth, love, and ultimately eternal life. He sought out the weak and the vulnerable and brought them into safety. In fact, what he did was, in the words of Dane Ortland, who has written this absolutely brilliant book called Gentle and Lowly, he says this, that Jesus rehumanized the dehumanized. Jesus restored humanity in people who were otherwise seen as less than. He dignified them. He brought them into family and fellowship with him. You know, as Christians, we are called to do the same. What a privilege it is. The opportunity to draw alongside those who are in a time of difficulty and to gently lead them 
to Jesus, to hear their story, to share your life with them, to hear the pain and the suffering that they're going through, to allow someone to be vulnerable with you. What a privilege that is. And that's what a lifestyle of encouragement looks like. It looks like drawing alongside those people who are disheartened, who feel weak, who feel vulnerable, who feel pushed out, who feel rejected by the world. A lifestyle encouragement looks like that. We see that in the New Testament, Jesus doing that time and time again. And Paul wants this church to know this, to encourage the disheartened. So who is on the fringe of our church family that need to be brought in right now? Who's facing real challenge that we can extend the life-giving message of Jesus to? Such an important thing, isn't it, at this time to be on the lookout for those people. Can I encourage you to do that, to consider, to even ask the Holy Spirit to put people on your heart that you can extend warmth, to reach out, to move towards. I want to encourage you in that. But finally, I want to just consider our third question, which is how do we grow as individuals and as a church in this area? How does it become more than just a temporary flash in the pan and more of a lifelong habit? I want to say two things about that. The first is is that real encouragement comes from a deep relationship with God. It starts there. You know, the people who are most encouraging in my life are those that know Jesus the best. They have their priorities straight. They spend time with their Father in heaven. Before anything else, before they are a man or a woman, a mum or a dad or a student, before their profession, their ethnicity, they are followers of Jesus. And people like that will always bring life out of others. I've got a friend who, who whenever I come away from spending time with him, I always come away feeling encouraged. It's not because he's written me a lovely letter or complimented me on the new buzz cut or brought me a coffee, but it's because he wants to talk about Jesus. He rejoices in God. He lives a life of gratitude. And just being around him energizes me. It motivates me to want to live for God more. In fact, Paul gives a description, doesn't he, of what this kind of life looks like in the verses that we've read. It looks like rejoicing always. It looks like praying continually. It looks like giving thanks in all circumstances. And if you want to grow in your encouragement of others, get closer to God. Spend more time with him. Learn his ways. Be shaped by his word. See the world more as he sees it. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? In fact, if you want to get better in anything, the solution isn't self-help books or podcasts or audiobooks. It's getting to know Jesus better. And to live an encouraging lifestyle, to grow in encouragement, is to pursue Jesus more. It's out of that place that encouragement flows out. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, it says in, in Luke. And action always follows affection. 
if you get your affections right, if, you, if your affections are set on Jesus, then you're going to live an encouraging lifestyle because it just comes out of you naturally. When people spend time with people like that, they are fueled, they are motivated. There's faith put in those people to live for God more. So that's the first thing, to know God more. But the second thing is, is that when we realize that God in his kindness towards us saw us when we were far off and brought us near, the more we will have eyes for those who are on the fringes and the more encouraging we will be. It's human nature, isn't it? When someone experiences something that you've experienced yourself, you can relate to them a lot more. You want to be able to help them. You want to be able to support them because you know what it's like. And the truth of the matter is, is this. We were all naturally outsiders. We were all innately weak. We were all broken. We were all infected by sin. And the Bible says that every single one of us has gone astray. We have sought to live our lives the way that we wanted to. And in thinking that we know best, we've rejected God. And this sin that is in every human heart can't be cured by any human intervention. There's no human vaccine for it. There's no remedy for it that we could think up of ourselves. No amount of good works, no amount of kindness, no amount of money given to charities can solve the problem that is in our heart. The Bible says we were all lost. In fact, it goes as far as to say that we were all dead in our sin. And the last time I checked, a dead man can't raise himself. But Jesus saw us on the edge, saw us in our sin, saw us in our rebellion. And rather than chastising us for our stupidity, rather than humiliating us, he drew alongside us and brought us in from the edge into safety and security. Jesus restores our humanity. His death on the cross, purchasing our freedom from sin forever, has changed us from being what the Bible describes as foreigners and exiles and outcasts to now being brought near by the blood of Jesus and being filled with his Holy Spirit. Corrie ten Boom says this, when we are powerless to do a thing. It is a great joy that we can come and step inside the ability of Jesus. Wonderful words. We, step, we are invited to step inside the ability of Jesus. We couldn't save ourselves, but he could, and he invites us into that. And it's on that basis, the basis that Jesus has brought you and I from exile, from the edge, into family, that we can do the same for others. That's where we draw the strength from. That's where we go when we find ourselves short of motivation or energy or, or when we say, I know that person's in a difficult spot, but I, I can't be bothered right now. I'm sure I'm not the only one to have thought that. We remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. We remember that we were no different and we're called to move towards each other. You know, as a church, we have a vision of, of helping Bristol believe. And we're going to hear more about that next week from, from Andy. But I believe that God has called us to be a church that is brimming with encouragement. Defined by 
It's interaction with each other, defined by the community, the love and affection for one another. And we've called this series Being Human because we believe that a life following Jesus is to know and experience the life-giving message of him. And it's in a society that is dominated by negativity and cynicism, we've got the opportunity to speak life and faith into people to draw alongside them and to encourage them, to point people towards what it really means to be human. In a moment, I'm going to pray and to help, I'm going to use the words that Paul finishes off with at the end of this letter. But I just want to give us a moment where we are now to just respond in our own hearts. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind specific people that you can draw alongside at this time. Perhaps you've realized that you've stopped living in the light of what Jesus has done for you. You need to take encouragement from that. Perhaps you feel far from God today and you're disheartened. Can I encourage you to take a minute now to ask God, the God of all comfort, to come and to help you now. Let's just take a minute of quiet and then I'm going to pray and I'm going to hand over to Andy who's going to lead us in communion. Paul finishes this letter with a prayer. And I want to pray it for us as a church family this morning it says this in verse 23 may God himself the God of peace sanctify you through and through may your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it amen